We're going to look in our Bibles this morning to the passage that Chris read for us. Um, I've put a lot of preparation to this, and I'm. This is a heavy passage, and it's going to be. I'm going to try my best to do it justice, but uh, it's something that God's been teaching me and working with me, so uh, I felt called to share it with you all. Uh, Let's pray before we go into this. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we we come before you this morning just in awe of the good things that you've done for us, Lord. On this beautiful fall day, the, the colors that you've painted the trees, Lord, we just are in amazement of every good thing that you've given to us, Father. Please come and be with us this time, Lord. Give us wisdom. Um, help us to understand and uh, even work on our hearts, Lord, and show us things that we need to work on in our own lives. Please bless this time, Father. We pray all these things in your Son's holy and most precious name. Amen. All right. So imagine with me for a minute that you are a slave. You were born into slavery. Your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters are all slaves, and you have been your whole lives. Your slave master is a cruel man. He's abusive, both verbally and physically. Your living conditions are poor. He barely feeds you. Um, The work you're called to do is grueling, hard. There's no real joy in your life. There's no real hope in your life. You You live a lonely life. And then one day, a man and his son come to the slave master and say they want to buy a slave, and they're pointing at you. And you watch the slave master's face, and he says, nope, not for sale. So the man offers a trade. He says, I'll trade the life of my son for that slave. And to this, the man agrees. So the man's son stays with the slave master, and you go home with him. He adopts you into your family, and rather than being a slave for him, he makes you like one of his own sons. And he says, son, you're free to live your life now. Live it however you please. However, never go back to working for that slave master. Now that seems like insanity, because why would anyone who had been granted their freedom go back to working for a slave master? But sadly, we all have a tendency to do this in our lives. We all have a tendency to go back to serving that old master of sin who was so cruel to us. You see, for most of us, we can remember that time in our lives when we were in bondage to slavery. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul refers to this as being dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's an accurate description because your hearts were dead back in those days. We were cold, lifeless, Your heart was compared to a stone. We were absolutely dead inside. We had no hope. We had no real joy. And there was a void in our lives that comes from being without God. Everyone's constantly trying to fill a void in their life. It's a human thing to do. So we fill it. We try filling it with pleasures, with money, with success, with relationships. I mean, the list goes on and on. You probably even remember specific sins that you were enslaved to. I know I can. We all have these things in our past that we would be so ashamed of if other people found out about them. We all had addictions, obsessions, 
things that we focused our mind on so much and were just drawing us away from God into the world. And we were utterly powerless to give these things up. You see, Satan had us in his hand under complete bondage. It's almost as if he had his hand on the back of our head and he could turn and direct you any which way he wanted to. So, you see, it's hard to understand being a slave, but truth be told, we all were slaves. And we were completely powerless to our master, the devil. Until one day, God showed up in our lives. His son began to call us to repentance and to salvation. His spirit began to work in our hearts and soften these hard hearts of stone and slowly peel the scales off your eyes so that you could see the truth, not only about God, but about yourselves. We began to become aware of the sin in our lives and how one day we would have to stand before this perfectly sinless God and give an account for our lives. And in light of that, our sin looks so filthy and putrid and foul. And as we looked deeper and deeper within, the more disgusted we became with our own sin. And we realized we were utterly powerless. So in desperation, we cried out to God, please save me. Please forgive me. I'm wallowing in this swamp of my own sin, and I will drown unless you help me. And at that very moment, that cold heart of stone began to pump for the first time and beat. The shackles and chains that Satan had you bound in began to fall away from your heart, and God reached out his hand, and he pulled you out of that swamp and set you on the rock that is his son. He brought you into his family, adopted you as a son and daughter, and in fact, he brings you so closely to his family that in a mysterious way, he looks at us as being one with his own son. Our spirit becomes so knit to the being of Christ that we are considered to be in union with Christ so closely that we're considered one with his son. A couple of scriptures that will help open this up. Um, the first one will be 1 Corinthians Verse six, or chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what Paul's trying to explain here is you are one with Christ. So when you drag yourself through these sinful patterns, you're dragging Christ through these sinful patterns with you. So we don't really realize what we're doing when we give in to these sinful temptations. Another reference would be 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. He says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So you see, when we joined into this family of Christ, he became one with us. Jesus himself used the illustration, I am the vine, you are the branches. And it's a perfect illustration because he's the main stock. The vine is the life-giving force to all the branches. It gives the, the branches their energy, their strength, supplies them with all that they need to grow and flourish. So you see, the New Testament is filled with examples um, of the apostles and Jesus himself trying to teach this doctrine to people of how we, when you become a believer, you become one with Christ. And Paul is using that doctrine here to try and warn these people about something. So let's go to the text here. Let's start in verse 1. I'll read through this. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So Paul is saying that old man, that old slave that you used to be was put to death. He was crucified with Christ and buried with Christ and forgotten. You've been raised as a new creation, a new man, a new being. You've been freed from that bondage that sin held you in. So why in the world do you continue to turn back to it and allow these sins to reign in your life? You see, you're not powerless here, he's telling them. Don't you know that by you being united with Christ Jesus, he's constantly pumping you full of all the strength that you need to overcome these things in your lives, and then you can become the master of them to a certain point where temptation will come along and you'll be able to stifle it and win that battle. It's not impossible. You see, chapter 5 ends with Paul explaining to them how grace does cover over our sin and what a beautiful and merciful gift that truly is. But then he goes on to warn us that doesn't mean that you can continue to sin knowing that those sins will be covered by grace. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Basically saying, don't you know you no longer are a slave to this taskmaster? Don't you know this, this sin no longer has you in its grasp and can bend you to its every will and desire? You are freed men and women, and an extremely high price was paid for that freedom. In a very real sense, and with all reverence, I say that your older brother was put to death to pay for that freedom. You flip over a couple pages to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We all know this text. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that's us, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, Jesus identifies as the firstborn of this family of believers that we have become adopted into. God has adopted us into his family, and he looks upon us as sons and daughters, and Jesus is identified as the firstborn of this family of saints and believers, and he willingly laid down his life that we could all be freed from that bondage that sin had over us. What a gift that is. So having that all in sight now, how can we go back to that old life? And how can we continue to allow remnants of that old life to leach into our new life? You see, sin looks so incredibly filthy and ugly to a completely holy God. There is no sin scale in God's eyes. There's no big sins and little sins. Sin is sin. Jesus said that to have malice in your heart towards someone else, to have anger towards them, to have hatred towards them, is the same thing as premeditated first-degree murder in his eyes. To look at someone to lust after them is the same as completely committing adultery with that person. You see, small sin, little sin, there's no difference. It's all absolute filth in the eyes of a holy God, and he will not incorporate himself with that. Not only that, this is the same God who sacrificed his only son to pay for these sins. So when you fall back into these sins, it's as if you're slapping God in the very face. You feel anger build up in your heart at the mention of the name of someone that you don't like. Slap. You tell an innocent little lie. Slap. 
You spread that juicy bit of gossip, slap. You speak disrespectfully about your spouse in front of your friends, slap. You find your eyes drawn to the scantily clad man or woman on this TV commercial or billboard, slap. You stretch the truth to make yourself look better, slap. And the list goes on and on. And this one was easy to come up with because these are all sins that I've caught myself falling to. So you see, friends, sin is sin, no matter how we look at it. There's no small sin, no big sin. Every sin is an utter offense to the God who's given so much for us and to us. So you ask, how do we overcome these sins? Well, we all have these remaining sins so embedded into us that the thought of overcoming them almost feels like you're standing at the base of a cliff and being asked to scale it with no training and with no gear. It seems impossible, doesn't it? And you're right. It is impossible for you to do it on your own. But with the power of Christ that we've already seen lives within us, we can overcome these sins. You see, if you're born again, you have this power within you. So now that we know we are equipped with this power, the next step is finding out who is the enemy. Well, for that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So who is our enemy? Paul identifies them as the principalities and the powers of darkness. In other words, the devil and his demons. That's who we're dealing with. See, Scripture tells us that the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he doesn't want to just hurt you. He wants to utterly destroy you. But he knows that if you're Christ's, he can't take you from him. So, somehow, for some reason, it gives him great pleasure just to see us sin against him. Just to create a small little bit of space and separation between us and him. That's his little game. And he loves it. And he's good at it. So he follows each of us around every day, all day. He's been doing this his whole life. Well, your whole life. He knows everything about you. He knows your every weakness. And he lies in wait, waiting for the perfect opportunity to sneak that temptation in and to get you to slip up. He knows exactly where to tempt you and exactly how to tempt you. So you may ask, how do we go to battle against an enemy like that? Well, your first line of defense is prayer. Fervent prayer. A strong prayer life. So when temptation comes along, the absolute first step is to call out to God for strength. And he will answer, and he will give you the power he needs because you are one with him. 
because we ourselves are completely powerless. But with God's help and the power of Christ living within you, you can overcome these sins and the temptation to commit them. So then after prayer, what do we do? Well, after we pray, we fight. These battles require actual action. Paul's not saying, you're a Christian now, so sit back and let God clean up your life. Paul's saying that you're a Christian now, so prepare for the actual battle to begin. God plays an immense part in this. Don't get me wrong. But coming out of these temptations, we have a responsibility as well here. We have to learn to bite our tongues when the temptation to say something that we shouldn't comes up. We have to learn to divert our eyes when the temptation to look at something that we're not supposed to comes up. We have to learn to harness our minds and stop our thoughts before they wander down these paths of evil that the devil tempts us down. We have to learn the situations where our weaknesses come out and avoid those situations, wherever that may be. And praise God that he gives us the strength to do this. Now there's other weapons we can use in this battle. The other one, another one is the word of God. Your very Bible. You should be studying your Bible. It's hard to put your trust in someone that you know very little about. So we should all be devoted to being lifelong Bible students, constantly studying, constantly learning. And this should never end, no matter how old you get or how well you learn your Bible. We are in a lifelong discipleship program, and graduation day is the day that you die. This is something you do your entire lives. And every time you do, you learn a little more, and you grow a little more, and your confidence grows in this, in this God that we serve. This is also why having a time in your day separated to study the Bible, to get alone with God, and to pray is the most important thing you can do in that entire day. Jesus himself was constantly getting away from his disciples to get alone, to recharge, to talk to his Father, to spend time alone with him. And we should all be doing the same. Another line of defense that we can use is fellowship with other believers. Now, I'm not saying that we should separate ourselves from unbelievers because we are called to be salt and light in this world. However, I'm just saying be careful spending too much time around unbelievers because they do drag you down, and you'll find yourself being pulled into some of your old ways. I kind of like to think of it as you have a heart meter where your heart will fill up with joy and will, will be depleted over time. And spending too much time in the world slowly depletes your heart meter. And then when you spend time with your Father and in prayer and around other people who are true believers, you feel that heart beater becoming recharged, and then you're ready to go back into the world and go back to battle. So take advantage of every opportunity you can to spend time with other believers. Minister to each other. Encourage each other. We should be bearing each other's burdens. Maybe find someone and form a one-on-one -on -one accountability group with them. One thing we can work on here, and myself included, I find myself guilty of this all the time, is when you're, when you're spending time with another believer, one-on-one, -on -one, personal time, a work day, whatever, ask them how they're doing spiritually. You know, and be, be honest with each other. Because th these times, these conversations you have with each other, that's what really builds relationships. You can keep each other accountable. 
And we should always be keeping our eyes open for that brother or sister who seems to be struggling or hurting and find out why and see if there's anything you can do to help them, even if it's just prayer. You see, we're all in this fight together. And that's what body life really looks like. And it can be an extremely strong defense against sin. So now we know we have the power, we have the tools, but how do we actually put this to work in our own lives? Well, Paul kind of explains that to us in verse 12, starting in verse 12, if you read with me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. That's it. Don't let sin reign in your life. Cut and dry. No, it's a little more than that. I know it's hard. And one of the things I've had to challenge myself is, is take a look inside and identify the specific sins that you struggle with. And it'll be different for everyone. Maybe pride. Maybe you're a one-upper. You always have a better story to tell. Maybe it's lying. You like to stretch the truth to make yourself look better, to get out of things. Maybe it's jealousy. You find yourself being consumed with thoughts and things that you want rather than being content with the things that you have. Maybe it's gossip. You love to talk about other people and you love to share that story that makes them someone else look bad. Maybe it's anger. You find yourself being a hothead and someone says the wrong thing and you find yourself getting fired up into a state of rage. Maybe it's your tongue. You get around a certain crowd of people and all of a sudden you're talking like a drunken sailor. Maybe it's pornography. You find yourself alone at night with your cell phone and temptation comes knocking. Maybe it's simply not loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Isn't that a convictor? But Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. You see, once again, this was an easy list for me to rattle together because this is my list, and this is just a fraction of my full list. I'm sure I could have drummed up a lot more. But by God's grace and his strength, I find myself being better and better at overcoming these temptations when they come along. I mean, none of us are perfect, and we never will be. We're all going to struggle. I struggle more than most and fail every day. You are welcome to ask my wife. But looking back at my life, I can say, looking back at the miserable, filthy worm that I was, today I'm a slightly less miserable, filthy worm. And that's due to nothing but God's grace and the strength that he's given me to the praise of his glory. And I know we all can look back at things and see things that he's helped us overcome and work through, and our hearts become overwhelmed with thankfulness that we're not the way we used to be. And it's all these small victories that build the confidence that we have in our Savior, and it helps our love to grow towards him. But since we're still fallen creatures, I challenge you to do the same thing that I'm challenging myself. Constantly be taking a look inside and evaluate your life and see the things that he can help you work through and find the things that easily ensnare you and find ways of working through them. Learn to recognize the voice of the devil tempting you to sin. He knows you and he loves coming at you with the same old things day in and day out because he knows that they're your weaknesses. 
So find those weaknesses, identify them, and work at them. It's important to know your enemy in this battle and learn to recognize his voice. So look with me again to verse 13 here. We'll keep going down through here. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what Paul is saying here is don't present your members or body parts as instruments of unrighteousness. So if you have a trouble with your tongue, maybe you find yourself falling into throwing around coarse language, or you're slanderous, or you gossip, or you love telling lies and stretching the truth, you need to learn to bridle the tongue. You know, if you find your, your mind leads you to angry thoughts and hatred, thoughts of envy, you need to learn to harness your mind. You find your heart gets tied up in desiring things that pull you away from God. You have to guard your heart. And instead, what he's saying is present these things to God as instruments of righteousness. You can use all these for good. You can use your tongue to encourage, to build up, to spread truth to the lost. You can use your mind by broadening it and constantly studying scripture and learning more about God and how you can help people who are lost and who are struggling. You can fill your heart with love for your Savior and a love for the lost and a love for your fellow believers. You see, you're a new creation now. You were dead, but now you are alive to God. So use your gifts and talents to further the kingdom of God rather than allowing sin to corrupt your thoughts and deeds as well as the witness you have to unbelievers. They're all watching you. Christians are always in the spotlight. Your fellow workers pay more attention to you than you would, you would, be surprised, you would know. And... Uh, the way you carry yourself speaks a loud witness to you. So look at verse 14, finally. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What a blessing. Sin can no longer hold you in its grasp. You've been broken from that. God's freed you from that. But it certainly will always try to gain a foothold once again. And you have to guard against that. You have to constantly be waging war against it and never give up fighting. Now, I hope I haven't just had, made you all feel completely guilty about yourselves. But at the same time, when you die, you're going to stand before this righteous king and have to give an account for your life. And I know I don't want to stand there having all these sins that I just kind of let, let slide and planned on allowing grace to cover them. I want to stand there with not an ounce of energy left in my body because I fought my whole life to get over these things and overcome them and to make him proud. So that's what I'm saying to you today. I'm urging you, continue to fight till your final day. Now this has been an encouraging, well, tried to be an encouragement to the believers here. But I know there's unbelievers here. And I do have something to say to you. Sadly, you are still a slave. None of these things apply to you. You're absolutely powerless to overcome those sins. And maybe you feel that way. You have no chance on your own. But there's still good news. 
Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. The offer is still on the table. He's pleading with you for to come. He wants to free you from your bondage and help you to see the new life you could have, but he's just waiting for you to ask. He said in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. You see, friends, he's calling to you. He wants you to come into your life. He wants to help, but all you have to do is ask. So I urge you, call upon him to save you before your time is up and the offer is no longer on the table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just love you and we just want to serve you as best as we possibly can on this earth. Just please come and help us, Father. Help us in our day-to-day lives. Help us to walk nearer to you, closer to you, Lord. Just please come and help us. Give us the strength, Father, to overcome these things in our lives which so easily slip us up, so easily drag us down, Father. Lord, we love you and we long to serve you. We pray all these things in your son's holy, most precious name. Amen.